Hello, I'm Sally Thomas from Zurich Corporate Risk, and I'd like to welcome you to today's, to this month's webcast, Managing Conflict at Work. Today's session will run for about 30 minutes, and we'll be discussing what a workplace issue is, the impact conflict can have on individuals and the workplace environment, why conflict occurs, and who is responsible for its management. So without further ado, let me introduce you to, today, you to today's speakers. We have Claire Farmer, a rehabilitation case manager and physiotherapist, and Ruth Taylor, a rehabilitation case manager and mental health nurse. Good morning to you both. Morning. So why have we chosen to discuss this topic? Well, conflict at work can have a hugely negative impact on organisations. The difference between an engaging and positive working environment to that where there is discord, frustration and poor performance is palpable. It's a fact that when conflict ar conflicts arise, otherwise referred to as workplace issues, morale can dip and professional relationships can be affected. If left unaddressed, the environment can become toxic and at its worst, it not only affects people but performance and productivity. According to the CBI in May 2017, it's estimated that it costs UK businesses £33 billion per year. It takes up 20% of leadership time and it potentially loses 370 million working days. So Claire, let's start at the beginning. What constitutes a workplace issue? Thank you. So conflicts are generally defined as relational disputes between two or more parties. Conflict itself is an inevitable part of everyday organisational life, but it need not have the negative or destructive consequences for either the organisation or the individuals involved. Depending on how the conflict is actually managed, the negative effects may be minimised and the positive effects may actually result from the conflict. The literature has defined a few different types of conflict, and these are relationship conflict, value conflict and interest conflict, and I'll just talk about each of these in a little bit more detail. So relationship conflict can arise where one person behaves in a negative manner or another person has a skewed perception due to things such as stereotypes or rumours that are circulating in the workplace. Secondly, value conflict. So this arises when two people or groups have different views on moral values. And that's really the basic understanding of, of what is naturally deemed to be right or wrong. Relationship and value conflicts are the most subjective conflict types because they're based really entirely on what someone feels either about a person or a situation. And thirdly, interest conflict. So this arises when one person's desired outcome is in conflict with another person or group's interests. So typically this occurs when one person believes that another person's desires or aims, if they are achieved, will prevent his or her own interests from being met. And this type of conflict can be experienced when two people who have relationship conflict are required by the team manager to work as part of the same team. There was a large survey that was carried out by the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. And this found that up to four in ten UK employees report some form of interpersonal conflict at work within the 12-month period. And this is either an isolated dispute, incident of conflict, and or an ongoing difficult relationship. Recent data has also suggested that there's been a rise in workplace conflict, as well as a fear of discrimination or victimisation. Conflict is most likely to take place with employees' own line manager, followed by their colleagues, and people who their own line manager reports to. So in other words, really the people we work most closely with and are then less able to avoid. Thank you, Claire. 
So Ruth, why does conflict occur and whose responsibility is it to deal with it? Well, firstly, conflict can uh, occur for many different reasons. And um, poor communication, verbal or non-verbal, and this can arise due to a lack of clarity, different communication styles, misunderstandings, and inappropriate responses are to name but a few reasons. Communication is essentially an art, and the good news is, is that most of the time, people inherently get it right. However, on occasions, unconscious behaviours mean that signals sent out to others can appear confrontational, too personal, confusing, or even misleading. Challenges within relationships can be triggered by clashes of personalities. We've all heard of that before, personality clashes. And this leads to a lack of acceptance and an inability to compromise. So perhaps when, we're, when recruiting, we need to think about the personalities within the team as well as the skills that they bring. Inadequate resources is another thing, and this can be often the starting point for certain issues to arise. It may be that it is the perception of poor or inadequate resources rather than the actuality. But if an individual feels that they are working with insufficient resources, this can easily lead to frustration, irritability, and can be the driver towards poor performance and conflict. And if not aligned, expectations between managers, team leaders, and individuals may inevitably lead to conflict, which can result in a breakdown of relationships. So it's easy to see why these challenges occur, but it's important to recognise that the responsibility to address the issues belong to all participants involved. Thanks, Ruth. Um, so Claire, could you explain what impact conflict can have on an individual? Yes, yeah, so it's worth saying that the, the impact of conflict has shown to be significantly higher uh, when it's with another employee who's with a, in a higher position within the organisation. So the most common impact of conflict is that people find it a stressful experience and also find a, a reduction in their level of motivation or commitment to their job role. So while stress is not actually a mental health condition, it can lead to mental health issues. It's been found that more women report that conflict has been a stressful experience. So 47% of women reported this in comparison to 38% of men. The presence of conflict can create negative attitudes and behaviour. There's often a, a breakdown in communication and there may be feelings of anger, frustration, resentment or even overt aggression which can be expressed in a number of ways including things such as personal insults. A lack of trust and feeling of support in the workplace is also common. And certainly, if, if conflicts are not managed quickly and effectively, emotions can quite easily escalate. Employees experiencing conflict can often report a struggle to maintain positive relationships with a variety of different people, so including clients, suppliers, and customers. It can also change the way in which they interact with colleagues, so even those who've had actually no role in the, in the conflict itself. So it's not surprising to then perhaps hear that this can negatively impact the individual's well-being. Workplace conflict has been linked with various indicators of well-being, so these include depressive symptoms, job satisfaction, and even physical symptoms in some cases. It's also been shown that one in 20 cases of conflict then actually leads to sickness absence. A reduction in motivation and commitment is, is common in, in situations of conflict and that the conflict that most impacts motivation and commitment are issues around job terms and conditions, a lack of opportunities or career progression and lack of support during periods of sickness causing absence from work. So a few but still significant portion of employees in conflict 
report a decline in their level of productivity or that relationships become unworkable. So it's been shown that one in seven cases of conflict leads to reduced work productivity. And it's quite like this results from the reduced levels of motivation that we've talked about. And also with the, the energy that's being used to focus on the conflict is then being diverted away from being constructively used in, in, in carrying out the normal day-to-day -day job role. One in 10 cases of, of what we call conflict actually results in one or the other party leaving the organization altogether. So whether this be resignation or dismissal, and there are certain types of behaviours that are more strongly linked with someone leaving their job role. And these are really where there's perceived to be bullying, intimidation or harassment. People are more likely to look for a new job role outside the company. So Ruth, surely a situation like this will also have an impact on the wider workplace? Yes, it does, Sally. And sometimes it can, in rare circumstances, be very damaging. And sadly, customers may be the first person to notice that there are problems or issues occurring. And the customer may report they have observed a blame culture between individuals or departments. They may perceive poor service due to employees being distracted, a lack of loyalty displayed by some personnel, and confusion in, relating, in relation to information given and that received. So the impact of these experiences can ultimately leave the customer feeling disappointed at best, but totally dissatisfied to the point of complaint at worst. The ABI suggests that an organization's reputation is vital in order to gain and sustain sustain success. And unfortunately, there are many examples within social media where complaints have arisen by poor customer care as a result of disharmony within the organization. So it's a, it's a fact that it's not one person that makes up an organization. However, it is also a fact that one person in dispute or conflict with another person or within the organization itself can have a lasting and negative impact on the organization's functionality and reputation. A one-on-one -on -one conflict does not necessarily mean that the organization as a, as a whole is not harmonious, contented, and functional. But if not addressed, a small isolated conflict can escalate into more people being drawn into the dispute and it potentially impacting on business as well as personal factors, a bit like a virus, how it spreads. So where conflict arises, productivity is often affected. I think Claire's already mentioned this. But some individuals become distracted by their issues and are less focused or motivated to undertake the tasks, duties, and responsibilities that are assigned to them. And this then has a knock-on effect, meaning that other team members have an increased workload, which then brings conflict in, in, for them also. So what's the best way to manage these conflicts and issues? Well, in terms of managing conflict, the worst thing to do is nothing at all. Whilst in some rare cases it can be argued that to refrain from intervening and allowing conflicts between individuals to resolve themselves is helpful, it has to be said that the majority of situations benefit from some form of intervention. The management of conflict is best undertaken quietly and respectfully. So I would suggest begin by logically exploring who is involved, clarifying what the conflict is about and why it has arisen. I would suggest keeping emotions out of the analysis, seek facts and encourage individuals to speak one at a time. Sometimes it may be appropriate to have separate conversations with individuals, but there is a pitfall to this, and this is that ownership becomes that of the facilitator and the individuals may lose an element of responsibility. Um, it's obvious that different types of conflict generally require a different approach, but fundamentally all will benefit from an approach where communication is objective, clear and factual. Resolution of the conflict will depend on the skills of the person facilitating the process of the resolution and the engagement of those involved. 
So, mechanisms and tactics to deal with conflict resolution may appear obvious, but sometimes the importance of the delivery is often forgotten. So, I would suggest it's important to stay neutral, understand the issues, from all parties that is, allow individuals to speak freely, but enforce parameters around language and behaviour. It's always productive to enable the individuals to identify what they feel the solution to the conflict may be, and then carefully explore with them the viability of their solutions and the responsibilities required by them. It's important that individuals explore compromise and are realistic about things. Sometimes, sadly, the conflict may not be resolved to the individual's expectation, and in this case, they need to consider a formal grievance process. Employees need to understand their rights as well as their responsibilities within any grievance process, and the process itself must be accessible to all. So those managers, team leaders, or HR personnel who find themselves dealing with people in conflict need to ensure that they have their own support. It can be quite a stressful scenario. So mindful and conscious communication is required in order to avoid making assumptions. It is important to draw out these issues that the individuals have whilst avoiding any judgment. It is essential that throughout the communications that take place, a focus on resolution and moving forward is maintained. Individuals should be discouraged from ruminating over negative issues, but instead be encouraged to identify options and opportunities that might be considered in order to reinstall harmony. So I would suggest that there are a few key elements here, and I'll kind of specify them. So allow people to vent, but set boundaries around language and behaviour. Enable individuals to get to the point about their issue by asking them to prioritise in order the things that are causing them upset. Prevent rumination and procrastination by exploring conflicts through time schedule periods. This helps with focus and prevents the raising of new issues. Get the individual to come up with solutions, and where the solutions that they have offered are unrealistic or inappropriate, you need to give them reason and rationale as to why. Seek to attain compromise. Offer acceptance by giving space when they talk, but setting expectations of what might and might not be possible. And I would always suggest keep records of discussion and ensure the individual has a copy for reference. If conflict is not resolved, encourage use of formal platforms. That's what they're there for. So we have a grievance process. You can use informal mediation via an objective in-house person who has mediation skills, or use external formal mediation. Conflict resolution is most effective when based on reasonableness, and people managing conflict need to be confident, fair, open, and above all, good listeners. And when we get to the point where capability is the trigger for conflict, um, and this is often the case, all of the above does apply, but with the added focus on factually evidencing poor performance, seeking ways to support, upskill the individual, and being clear on the process of managing poor performance. Um, I would say ACAS um, have some really useful literature that can help support both an individual and an employer through the process of managing dispute. And also the HSE offer guidance on supporting and managing stress, which as we know can often be the precursor to conflict. So Claire, it sounds like prevention is definitely better than cure. Yes, absolutely. So conflict is inevitable on occasions. Um, and it's normal uh, as part of everyday working life. But there are a number of ways that the negative impact of, of conflict can be reduced. So the first way is setting out clear policies and procedures around employee conduct and acceptable workplace behaviour. This helps to ensure that employees are both aware of, of the 
boundaries and also how to raise concerns and report unreasonable behaviour in a sort of structured way. Effective communication is essential. So we've talked about essential, uh, communication through each of the sections. It's important to ensure that lines of communication remain open and there's a good level of transparency. This helps to ensure that any issues that are, do arise are dealt with quickly and effectively before they're able to escalate and have the negative impacts on either the individuals involved or even the wider organisation, um, as we've discussed. Training is also important, so training within the workplace on expected workplace behaviour and conduct, so covering relevant policies and procedures, uh, for example, bullying, harassment. In addition, management training to help both managers, supervisors support their staff to identify any of the risks at work and then help to actually man manage the conflicts when they do occur. Should be a good level of transparency across all levels of the business. So regular team meetings are important. They give uh, the opportunity for management to provide company updates so that employees remain well informed about any changes that are taking place. So some of the evidence suggests that a lack of opportunity or career progression for an individual can be a factor in, in causing or, or triggering conflict. So one of the ways or one of the aspects that is important is a, is a structured appraisal system with regular reviews to help ensure that employees have appropriate feedback, support and guidance to help enable opportunities for appropriate career progression. Thanks both. That was a really useful and enlightening session, which brings us to the, to the end of today's webcast. We'll be producing a fact sheet to complement this session, which we'll send to all of you along with a recording of what you've heard today and it'll also be available to download from our website. On which note, if you'd like to listen to this or any of our other webcasts, you can find them on our website, which is www.zurich.co.uk forward slash justbreakglass. From there, you can download the, rec the recordings and their accompanying fact sheets. We hope you found this session useful, and we look forward to welcoming you again next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.